0: Um, Father, it's been so good to be able to stand together as your people and sing your praise and praise the God from whom all blessings flow. And we want to be here this morning as people with grateful hearts, acknowledging that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we are so thankful. And Father, among your many, many gifts to us, we are so thankful for your word, which gives light to our path, which gives us wisdom, which we so often lack, which opens up the way of salvation for us, um, which makes us alive. Um, And so, Father, we want to pray this morning, help us not to take this gift for granted, and we pray that your word would resound in our hearts and would have a lasting and deep impact in our minds and our hearts and our lives. For that to happen, we need you to come and your Holy Spirit to come and do your work in our lives. We pray you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, So we're gonna read in a second from Luke 19. I'm not gonna use the PowerPoint uh, this morning. Um the, the PowerPoint is on summer holidays so um, just take a break from it um, but we're going to read in Luke 19 uh, a parable called the parable of the ten minas or sometimes called the parable of the ten servants um, and just to give you a tiny bit of context to maybe bring the story a wee bit more to life for us this comes just after the story of Zacchaeus which most of us will know pretty well in fact it seems like Jesus told this parable Uh, in Zacchaeus' house at the end of the events that that happened there. And it happens just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where Jesus is acclaimed as king. And then the events leading up to the cross where Jesus was rejected as king by the people and by the leaders uh, and went to the cross. And that that idea of Jesus being welcomed as king or rejected as king is kind of important to the, the parable Uh, that we're going to read. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to read from verse 11. It's quite a long parable, um, and I'm not going to deal with everything in it this morning, uh, but let's read it together. Luke 19, verse 11. While they were listening to this, so this is the conversation in Zacchaeus' house, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, And returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your Mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your Mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, "'Sir, here is your mina. "'I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. "'I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. "'You take out what you did not put in "'and you reap what you did not sow.' "'His master replied, "'I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. "'You knew, did you, that I am a hard man?' taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. So why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So, um, a long parable, uh, lots going on in it. I'm not going to try and deal with everything. I'm going to leave, the parables I think are meant to provoke us and puzzle us a little bit, and so I'm going to leave a few puzzles for you to to ponder yourself. Um, But I want to deal with some of the Uh, the main content of this parable. Um, It's maybe not too difficult to work out the first puzzle. We might wonder, who is the man of noble birth who went away to a distant country and then to be made king and then came back? Uh, And maybe immediately we might uh, be quick to recognize it's speaking in some way of Jesus himself. He's letting them know that he's going to go away for a while, um you and I know knowing the story a bit a bit more he's going to return to the Father via the cross and the resurrection, and the father is going to then exalt him to the highest place and give him the name that is above every name, and then he's going to return as king in all his glory, so you and I kind of know the shape of that story, and so maybe we're we're we might be pretty quick to realize the noble man is speaking in some way of Jesus um But then there are two groups of people in view in the parable. There are the servants who are given the minas, and we're going to come to them in a minute. I want to focus mainly on them. Uh, And then there are the subjects who reject him as king and who say very emphatically, we don't want this man to be king over us. Um, And again, if we're kind of aware of the flow of Luke's gospel, it's hard not to think of the scene just a couple of pages later where the crowd is going to say about Jesus, away with this man. They, they reject Jesus as king. Um, and the parable does not end well for these subjects, and definitely the end of this parable can come as quite a shock. I don't know, even as I read it, did you find it a little bit brutal, <laughs> a little bit shocking, uh, the way that it ends? Um, I was reading recently someone saying there, there's an idea that's popular today that says Jesus preached a message of only peace and love and tolerance, and then nasty Paul came along and changed Christianity into something much more harsh. Um, but actually, part of what we have to reckon with as we read the Bible is the strongest words about judgment in the New Testament actually come from the mouth of our Lord, come from the mouth of Jesus himself. And so there's something there that we need to... Um, reckon with and and face. Um, Even if we allow for the fact that this is a parable, so not every detail in the parable will carry over exactly uh, to the real world, but there's clearly a stark warning here that what we do with our lives really matters, and especially what we do with Jesus really matters. It matters whether we acknowledge him as king in our lifetime, or whether we say, I do not want this man me to be my king. And maybe to put it in the most stark terms, because Jesus is the Lord of life and the giver of life, whenever we reject Jesus, we choose death. And so there's a deathly end to this parable. And it stands as a really stark warning. What we do with Jesus in this lifetime really matters. The rest of our time, I wanna I want to focus on the middle of the parable or the meat uh, in the middle of the parable. Um, there are those who are called servants and they have not rejected the king. And so this part of the story speaks to those of us who are disciples of Jesus and who say we believe in Jesus and we're loyal to him as king. And that that I assume is going to include most of us perhaps who are here this morning. Uh, each of them is given one mina. Now what is a mina? A mina was... A measure of weight, which also then was used as a an amount of money, depending on the the the, the metal that was being used. But by most calculations, a mina would have been equal to about three months' wages. So I'll let you do the do the math, as they say, uh, the maths, and uh, work out roughly what that is. But it's not a it's not a tiny, not an inconsequential amount of money. Um, they're given it; they're each given a mina, and they're told. To put this money to work, that's the the, the task that they're given. And so maybe immediately we want to ask, well, what might this mina represent in our lives? If we are those servants, those disciples who acknowledge Jesus as king, uh, what what might this mina represent that we are entrusted with? Um, Maybe on one view, we might say the mina represents money and material possessions. Uh, But I think probably that's too narrow and too literal a reading. Um, I'm not convinced this parable is here to teach us about financial speculation uh, any more than the parable of the sower is meant to be teaching us about farming methods. They're they're about something else. Um, Some people read the story as being about the mina being about our gifts and our abilities. Um, and Again, I think it includes that, but again, I think that's too narrow a reading of what the mina might represent. Um, Maybe if I ask the question this way, what have you been given by Jesus the King that you are responsible to use well as you wait for his return? So, If I put the question that way, I wonder how you would answer. What have you been given by Jesus the King that you're responsible for how you use, to use it well while you wait for his return? Um, Maybe for me, the answer that comes to mind, Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, a little sentence that I love. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And I think the expected answer to that question is absolutely nothing. Everything that we have has been given to us by the king um, with the responsibility to use it wisely and use it well as we wait for the return of the king. And so I wanna suggest the mina represents all that you have been given, which includes your money and your possessions and includes your gifts and your talents, but also includes your family and your friendships and your work and your time and your personality and your intellect and your creativity and your sense of humor and everything that you've been given. That's been entrusted to you by the king Uh, to use well. In short, your whole life is in view. Your life is a gift from God entrusted to you for a little while. And one day the king is going to return and ask what you have done with that gift. Um, The poet Mary Oliver uh, asks the question like this. She says, tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? which I think is a beautiful way to ask the question, what are you planning to do with this amazing gift that you've been given? Um, So that's, I think, uh, perhaps what's in view uh, as we read about the Mina. But for me, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, I'm going to try and be honest and say, I have a lot of sympathy for the third servant. I think we need to be not too quick to assume that we wouldn't do the same thing. Um, because the third servant is aware of this serious responsibility that they've been given, and they don't want to mess it up. He doesn't want to lose this precious thing that he's been given, and so he wraps it in a cloth. We might say he wraps it in cotton wool. He puts it away somewhere safe in storage. He's trying in his own way, I think, to be faithful. He wants to be faithful with what he's been given. But the really clear implication of the parable, and I think this is kind of surprising, is that that servant has badly misunderstood what it means to be faithful, and perhaps badly misunderstood the character of the master. He thinks the master is a hard man, and so he's motivated only by fear, and that makes him timid and risk-averse. And I think the parable makes really clear what he should have done which was to invest what he'd been given, at the very least to put it in the bank, but even better to do what the other servants did and in some way invest it so that it would be multiplied, so it would increase, to use what he'd been given and put it to work so there would be a multiplication of of what he had. But I think there's no getting away from That requires an element of risk. The third servant I sympathize with because he decides to go for a zero-risk approach. There's no way of investing without some risk. Um, and I find this really challenging. I don't know about you. Um, I think many of us as Christians take a zero-risk approach to our lives. We're, we're aware that we've been given this kind of grave and serious responsibility and we're aware that God is a righteous judge and we're one day going to stand before him and we want to be faithful and we don't, we don't want to make any mistakes or make any mess or get anything wrong. And so we wrap up our lives in cotton wool. Um, I remember one time hearing somebody say it this way and it always stayed with me that we tiptoe timidly through our lives with no ambition except to make it through to death and then heaven safely. That's it, we just tiptoe cautiously through with no other ambition but to get to the end safely. We want to be able to give God back what he gave us and say, here is my life and it still looks shiny and brand new like it just came out of the box and I didn't get any scratches on it and I didn't get it dirty and I didn't lose it. Uh, Maybe we might say, I haven't committed any big sins, I haven't made any spectacular mistakes and I think we might expect God to be pleased with that we might expect that we'd get a well-done, good, and faithful servant. And that's why I think this parable is kind of surprising. Faithfulness is something different to what we may have thought. The parable suggests God didn't give us this wild and precious gift so we could keep it in the box. He gave it to us to use and to invest. He gave us the gift of life to be lived for him and his kingdom. Um, when I think about this parable sometimes I think, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I think about that rather strange cultural habit that we, we have in Northern Ireland that may be dying out now, I don't know, of having a, a good set of china that you you don't really ever use. You, you put it in a cabinet where it's kind of on display and maybe every now and again it gets used, but Most of the time it stays in the cabinet. Why? Because we don't want to get it chipped or damaged. And so you have these cups that were designed for drinking out of and these plates that were designed for eating off of, but they never get used for that because we don't want to get them chipped. And there's something of that in this parable. Your life is not meant to be like the good china that you keep in the cabinet. It's meant to be like the everyday crockery that gets used for family dinner and that brings joy and that brings life and all the rest. Um, the life that we've been given has been given to us to to use, to invest, to give away for Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom so that our life will be multiplied and will produce even more life. But again, there's no getting away from That requires some risk. And it requires us, I think, understanding the character of our king And this is what maybe really challenged me as I thought about this parable, that maybe our king doesn't care as much as we thought about us making some mistakes or getting some things wrong, so much as he cares about us squandering the opportunity and wasting this one precious life that we've been given by hiding away and living timidly and living cautiously. And so maybe the big question... I want to encourage you to think about this week, and I think you can only answer this for yourself, and I can only answer this for myself. What would it look like for you to live less timidly, to use and invest all that you've been given for the sake of Jesus and his good kingdom so that your life produces a harvest of more life? What would that look like for you? Um, here are a couple of specific challenges that came to mind for me, and these are maybe just some of the more obvious ones. Um, if I'm concerned about just preserving what I have and keeping it intact, I'm going to stay away from messy people and broken people and badly behaved people because I'm going to stay with the nice, respectable, well-behaved people so I don't get corrupted or contaminated, and so I don't lose what I have. But then I also miss the opportunity and the possibility that I could be a carrier of life to that person. This parable comes just after the story of Zacchaeus. What would have happened to Zacchaeus if Jesus avoided him because he had a bad reputation as a cheat and a swindler? But Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. <laughs> and salvation comes to that house and ends up in all kinds of blessing. Life gets multiplied, there's risk involved in following Jesus. A Couple of other examples uh, came to my mind. Imagine you're going about your day and a friend comes to your mind out of the blue and as you think of your friend, a thought, a phrase, a verse of scripture, a picture even comes to mind and you wonder if you're meant to go and share it with them but then you think, I might be wrong, and they might think I'm weird. They might think I'm strange, and I don't want to make a mistake. And so you risk nothing, and everything stays as it, as it is. You don't lose anything, but you'll never know what might have happened, how life might have multiplied if you'd taken the risk and taken that step. Or imagine you're on your way to an important meeting, and you notice As you're going towards that meeting, someone who is struggling or hurting or a bit lost or a bit lonely or a bit upset or a bit confused, and you clock them, (laughs) but you don't want to be late and you have a reputation to preserve as someone who's reliable and punctual, and so you hurry by on the other side of the road, and no one will ever know. Nothing is lost. Your reputation stays intact, but you'll never know what might have happened if you'd stepped off the path of caution and safety and taken a risk to love like Jesus loved, and things might get messy if you do that, but also life might have multiplied. I wonder what it looks like for you, for me, to be faithful by taking what we've been given and investing it, even if that involves risk, for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. And there's an amazing promise, I think, in this parable that I don't totally understand that the more we learn to do that, to step out and risk and invest what we've been given for Jesus and his kingdom, the more he will entrust us with more. He will give us, I think, new gifts and new responsibilities and new opportunities. If we're faithful with a little, he's going to entrust us with more. And there's even this slightly mind boggling promise that I don't totally understand that Maybe sometime in the future, some of you will be given responsibility for cities in the new earth uh, when Jesus, when the king returns. Uh, and I don't totally know what that means, but there's something there that the more we're faithful uh, with what we've been given, the more we'll be entrusted with more. Um, I want to finish with this. Um, John Piper is an American pastor, preacher, who I probably don't quote very often. I think he and I would disagree about a few things, but he's also someone I have a lot to learn from uh, and and a wonderful preacher. Um, And Piper once preached a sermon which has rightly uh, become very famous and has had a huge influence. I think he originally preached it to about 30,000 students on a hillside somewhere in the United States. Um, And I just want to quote that sermon a little bit as, as we come to the end. Um, Piper spoke of two ladies called Ruby and Laura who were in their 80s and who had recently died in Cameroon after a lifetime serving God among the sick and the poor. And they were traveling from village to village providing medical help in Africa and their brakes failed and the car went over a cliff. And that was the end of their life on this earth. And Piper asks a, a really challenging question of that audience of students. He says, was that story a tragedy? Is the story of Ruby and Laura a tragedy? They poured out their lives for a bigger vision (laughs) right into their 80s. And then Piper didn't say it this way, but it's what I would have said. They then went like Thelma and Louise off the cliff, straight to glory, right? Is that a tragedy, that story? Don't want to minimise sadness for their families and the shock, but is their overall life story a tragedy? And Piper then took out a little bit of folded paper, uh, an article that he'd recently read in Reader's Digest. I don't know if Reader's Digest still exists, does it? Maybe, yeah, yeah, it still does. Um, and he read about a couple called Bob and Penny. It was an article about early retirement. A couple called Bob and Penny who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago When he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30 foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. And Piper said, that's a tragedy. Buying into that American dream or Western dream that says this is what matters. And he said to those students, there is a, multi-billion dollar industry that is going to be trying to sell that dream to you and he said I as a preacher have 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it and I would want to say um, there's nothing wrong with early retirement, there's nothing wrong even with collecting shells (laughs) but if that's all we have to show for our lives if that's the sum total of what we're living for so that When we stand before our creator and he says, what did you do with the gift of life you were given? And all we have to show for it is our shell collection or our boat. That's a tragedy. You don't have to be a missionary in Africa. Um, You can live your life where you are right now, whatever age you are, with a passion for Jesus and his kingdom and with a passion for loving God and loving others in his name. And you'll make some mistakes (laughs) along the way, but you'll also see life multiply. And one day you'll hear the voice of your king saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, Let's pray. And then we're going to sing a song of response before we come to communion. So let's pray. Father, I want to pray. Uh I want to pray very simply that this powerful, surprising, disturbing parable uh, from Jesus uh, would be planted deeply in the soil of our hearts and would do its work there. Um, Father, maybe some of us need to be a little disturbed this morning out of our timidness and caution that we've been tiptoeing through our lives, just trying not to colour outside the lines and not to get anything wrong. Father, I pray you would maybe this morning by your word and by your spirit, shake us awake. Remind us that we've just one life to live. And Father, show us what it means to invest all that we've been given for you and for your eternal kingdom. Father, it's our great desire that our lives would would count for you and that life would be multiplied all around us. Father, show us how to live like that. Make us a little bolder. Help us to take those risks in our everyday lives, to love in your name, to share good news in your name with those around us. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.